Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Truth and Life, Module 4, Week 3. So in 45 minutes, the end will be in sight. You're stuck with me for only six weeks, and then you get to move on to someone else. So you'll be halfway there in 45 minutes. Um, Zooming out and looking at the purpose of this module, Module 4, it's, it's God's attributes. I know we've spent our entire time talking about just one attribute, knowledge. Um, and we're going to extend that. Today's not a totally different topic, but it's substantially different. We're going to talk about wisdom, God's wisdom. And so after, after this week, there's a, a more decided shift in the content. So this week will probably feel much like an extension of the previous two weeks, but I'm hoping to convey lots of new material and get you thinking and understanding God's wisdom, um, how that applies to our wisdom, how do we seek for that sort of good, godly wisdom, and apply it. So that's my goal for this morning. Let's open in prayer. Marty, would you mind opening in prayer? I didn't ask you ahead of time, so I hope it's okay. Thanks. Um, Good and gracious Lord, we thank you for this day, Uh, Lord, the day that you rested set aside for us to uh, to fill up on you, Lord. We hope that this, uh, this Sunday school class will fill us up with, with wisdom today, um, Lord, and we just pray that we will use that wisdom, Lord, to take it out into the world for the other six days of your week and, and bring glory to you, Lord. Bless the knowledge that we'll gain today. Bless words of Matt and bless the words that we will hear in service, Lord, may they all fill us up and bring us to a fuller understanding of salvation in in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Wisdom. I blacked out the definition that was up on the screen before we pray, and then we'll come back to it, because I want to know, how do we... What do you think wisdom is? How would you define wisdom? What is wisdom? Anybody? I would say it's some sort of knowledge refined by experience. That's good. What else? How, how would you describe wisdom? Even at the end of all my preparation, I didn't come up with a great definition, so. I mean, the application of knowledge. Very good. I think that's very helpful. Other thoughts? Somebody told me years ago, I thought it was helpful, just seeing things the way God sees them. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Good. That, these are great. Anybody else? So here was here was Packer's definition, J.I. Packer. All right. How does how does it? A couple of you mentioned knowledge. How does wisdom relate or even contrast with knowledge? So similar, similarities, differences. They're not completely separate, right? So what distinguishes wisdom from knowledge? You can't have wisdom of something if you don't know how to do it. I won't be a good doctor if I don't know the, the body. Uh huh. So I won't know how to do surgery or translate into a whole bunch of other things. Okay, so you're saying wisdom, a doctor has wisdom, and he gains that wisdom in large part by gaining knowledge? Yes. So it's knowledge. Plus, good, great, yeah. I think in a lot of ways, wisdom relates to spiritual and eternal things. So somebody can have a lot of knowledge about physical things, about things, you know, the sciences, you know, mathematics, whatever it is, things here on Earth, but be void of wisdom because they don't understand. Well, kind of like what you're saying. They don't understand God's purpose behind it. They don't understand the spiritual or the eternal side. Yeah, that's good. I like adding. God's purpose. Excellent. Okay, that's a good start. I don't want to cut anybody off. If you have something to add, feel free. I've noticed the past couple of weeks I've done almost all the talking, so that's probably not great. Feel free to shoot your hand up or just shout out a comment anytime. Yeah, okay. Yep, good application that comes from experience. That's a great addition. Okay, good. I like everything you said. I would kind of add to that that I don't think we should sharply separate knowledge from wisdom. Okay, so for instance, some people will say, well, knowledge is in your head. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. I don't know. I get, I get where they're going with that, but knowledge can be practical, right? There's merely theoretical knowledge and there's practical knowledge. Um, and all, also wisdom does involve study and learning. So we don't, you, you don't arrive at a point of wisdom without some work typically. So I don't want to sharply separate them, but I think we can come back to this and say, okay, there's a lot of truth here. We'll look at another definition in a couple of minutes, but it's knowledge plus something. Let's look at scripture. Here's, here's one example. Here's the first place in the Bible, actually. The, surprisingly, the word wisdom, I don't think it's used in the, the entire book of Genesis. But here we are. From what I could tell, this was the first place in scripture where the where God is said to give wisdom. And I think it's interesting um, what that wisdom did. It made them skilled craftsmen. So, you know, that I point that out because um, wisdom isn't necessarily this ethereal, high, lofty thing. Wisdom, as I said a moment ago, can be practical. It makes you 
um, good at things, things like this, turn them into gifted artisans for God in order to consecrate Aaron. So there's clearly a spiritual element to it. Um, so this is the first place. And I would say this is, I would categorize this under the knowing how. Remember week one, we talked about um, propositional truth, knowing that. So we focused mostly on, on knowing that. Week two, we developed that a little bit more into the how. And this is a how. This Exodus passage is a how. So we categorized it as knowledge, and that's why I say, you, you know, maybe we shouldn't sharply distinguish between, between knowledge and wisdom, because I think this one here, Scripture calls it wisdom, and it's kind of a balance of those two. Uh, note also that it's God who gives it. We'll come back to that and spend more time on it later. Um, God is the one who gives it. I have, if you're taking notes, I have this at the beginning of your outline, though, so I wanted to mention it now. Um, under source of wisdom, God is the source. God gives it. Your mind is probably spinning with other passages from James in particular that talk about God giving wisdom. But all throughout Scripture, God is the source of wisdom. God gives it. Solomon, think about Solomon. He was the wisest man, right? He asked God for wisdom. God was pleased that he asked for wisdom instead of riches, and God gave him wisdom and riches. So Solomon is, is the paragon of, of wisdom, not just in the Old Testament, but for all time, I think. Solomon was the wisest man. Look at what is given as evidence of his wisdom in that passage. spoke 3,000 proverbs, 1,005 songs. He spoke of trees, hyssop that springs out of the wall, animals, birds, creeping things, fish. And then, note at the end of it, men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He was the wisest, and look at the evidence given here of his wisdom. It's very physical, material, creation-y things. So again, the point I'm making is that wisdom isn't just sitting and you know, dispensing proverbs and truths. Solomon did that, but he spoke of trees and animals and fish and all of this stuff. And men came from all over to hear him. So I think that demonstrates that everyone wants wisdom. This isn't something that, ex that is exclusive to Christians. Everyone wants wisdom. And all cultures have their, their proverbs and their, and their wise sayings, right? What are, the, what are those wise sayings called? I'm going blank on the term for it, but like proverbs. Think of ancient Chinese proverbs. There's a word for it, but I can't think of what it is. Men from all over came to hear Solomon because everyone wants wisdom. And to some extent, I would say worldly people, unbelieving people have wisdom. Sarah and I, a few years ago, received a newsletter from an evangelical ministry. And, in the, and it's an explicitly Christian ministry. And there was scripture in there. And then there was a quote from Gandhi in there. Do you remember that? And I just thought, why, why would you quote Gandhi? Of all the things you could choose to quote to demonstrate what you're trying to demonstrate, why draw from worldly wisdom like that? 
I don't know. I mean, it, it, it does fit with what, I, I'm not sure it was a great plan, but it does fit with what I'm saying now, that everyone seeks after wisdom, and unbelieving people and cultures have their wise sayings as well. So here's John Frame's definition of wisdom. I think this is helpful too. Maybe put this together with the one from J.I. Packer, put this together with the insights that you guys have shared, and here we have, at least for the purposes of this hour, kind of a working definition of wisdom. Wisdom is a kind of heightened knowledge, a knowledge that penetrates to deep significance and practical relevance. Okay, so there's overlap between knowledge and wisdom, but wisdom, let's just say, wisdom is knowledge plus something extra in terms of application and spiritual insight and that sort of thing. Okay, so we've, we've defined it. We've looked at a passage that demonstrates that God gives it. We've established, I hope, that pagans can have a certain type of wisdom. But wisdom in the Bible has an ethical component. That's actually a massive understatement, right? True wisdom is ethical, and pleasing the Lord is its end. That's the goal of it, is pleasing the Lord. So we're going to, in this class, of course, come to it from that standpoint. Proverbs 4.11 says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. So these two go together. Wisdom means that you're on the path of righteousness or uprightness. If you're, if you're not on that path, there may be, it may be kind of smart what you're saying, but we're not going to call it wisdom. To a Christian, it's not wisdom. Um, we could go to dozens and dozens of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about wisdom. But here, let's just say the way of wisdom is the path of uprightness. Can, can I have a volunteer to turn and, and read this passage here from James 3? Well, it was a little too long to put up here, and I want to use the space on the board to jot a few notes down as we go. But if anyone who has a Bible, thanks, Luke. In just a second, I'll have Luke read. Um, anyone who has a Bible, go ahead and turn there because he's going to read it and then I'm going to make some comments. We're going to jot some things down about this. We're going to make a list of characteristics of earthly wisdom and we'll contrast that with heavenly wisdom or true wisdom. Okay, so be thinking about that. Earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. Thank you, Luke. Go ahead. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's do our list here. Characteristics of earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. Anybody, let's start, start the list. What can we put under earthly? Bitter jealousy. 
Good. Another one. Yes. Excellent. Good. Yes, disorder. There could be more, but I'm out of space. We can come back to it. How about heavenly wisdom? Good. Peaceable. Good. Unwavering. I don't have that one, so you must be working from a different translation. That's good. You can have things that I don't have. That's great. Good. Anything else? Yeah. Merciful, good. Sorry. Reasonable. Good. Okay. Good. There might be more in there. This is a great, great list, though. So, I mean, it's, it's clear to a Christian. I don't think there's anything shocking in here. I don't have any, you know, great insight on this. But I think it's helpful to list them out and see, okay, yeah, there's, there's earthly wisdom like we just talked about, but it's, it's different in nature. It runs contrary to wisdom that we have, hopefully by God's spirit. Um, increasingly, we have the heavenly type of wisdom. Um, jealousy, is that, is that even wisdom? Would, would unbelievers consider that to be wise? Selfish ambition, maybe that's an even better example. It's not wise. And, and some, a lot of unbelievers would understand that it lacks wisdom because they understand something of the Lord. But this, and it's destructive, but there really is a type of earthly wisdom that says that 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 ambition, selfish ambition, me above everyone around me is why. So God says, no, that's different. That comes from below. We're to seek after heavenly wisdom. So as we strive toward godly wisdom, we're imitating God. So we're going to start to turn this around and, um, and look at what 
the attribute of wisdom would, would mean in God. So it comes down from heaven. It's from God. He's the one who gives it. So we're imitating God when we seek after heavenly wisdom. He is the source of it. So remember, his spirit came upon the artisans who built the tabernacle. We didn't talk about it, but Joshua, uh, wisdom through the spirit came upon Joshua as he succeeded Moses. It was on Solomon when he asked for wisdom. We, I pointed us to the James passage before. James says it comes from above when we request it. So God is the, God is the source of it. He's gracious when he gives us wisdom. And these areas where we seek wisdom are important. So I'm thinking of the, the day-to-day areas where we would ask for wisdom. What, in what areas of life do you find yourself asking for wisdom? Parenting. Okay, parenting, yes. For me, that's probably mo- more there than any other area. What else? Finances, good. Wisdom with finances, parenting, finances. What else? Filling the role at work. Yeah, vocational stuff. It's important. That's a huge part of our lives. God's concerned with it, and it's true. He wants to give us wisdom as it relates to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay how to interact with people and honor God in that and how to respond to conflict and that sort of thing. That's a great area of life to ask for wisdom. So it's all true. God, God is concerned with all of these things and he is waiting for us to ask for wisdom to help with all of those things. Um, but there is also a wisdom in scripture that absolutely just completely turns worldly wisdom on its head. So I wanted to get this list here down on virtual paper so that we could look at it and say, yeah, there's a big difference between earthly and heavenly wisdom, but even unbelievers are going to see the wisdom in this, right? So by God's grace, through his spirit, we, we behave more like this and we seek after this kind of wisdom instead of the earthly side. But a whole lot of unbelievers are going to be okay with that and they're going to get that too. So it's all, it's all true, it's in scripture, but I want to, to point out that there is something else that just, it's, it's not just a twist on earthly wisdom or making it better or reorienting it. In scripture, there's something that is completely and totally outside, it turns it on its head. I can get business advice from any number of places. I can get wise counsel um, in terms of parenting, being a husband from lots of people. I even prefer business advice to come from, um, from godly people. I think it's better, but I can get business advice from any number of sources. Um, financial wisdom is everywhere. So God cares about all these things. They're important aspects of our lives. But there's this other area that is where Scripture says God's wisdom is completely different. So I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians 1. I'm just going to switch over here. This is a pretty 
long passage that I'm going to read. I may stop and make comments as I, as I read, I'm not sure, but I'm going to read nearly a whole chapter here. First so Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay, that was, that was long, but wisdom, according to that passage, God's wisdom is the cross. It's completely different. It's not, it's not turning, you know, putting a twist on this stuff here 
and changing it, but it's completely different. God's wisdom is complete foolishness to everyone else, and it's the cross. It's a simple message. It's, it's Christ himself. It's using few instead of many. It's using weak things instead of powerful things. Foolishness is the wisdom of the world. Those things to God are foolish. So physical might, persuasive words, political power, all these things are, are foolishness to God and wisdom to the world. God used something like the cross. Who would have thought that this would be God's plan, that he would use simple, small things to accomplish salvation? Who would have thought that sending the Son of God to suffer and to be crucified would be a good move? But that's God's wisdom. So you see, this is completely and utterly different. And then the end of it, verse 16, I think, is, is amazing. After this long description of God's wisdom, basically saying that God's wisdom is completely 100 degrees out of phase with other wisdom, that God's ways are above all of that other stuff, and who can know the mind of the Lord, Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. So this is a great promise because even though it's, it's utter foolishness, we actually have that. We now have the mind of Christ. And this, I would say, is the, is the wisdom that really matters. So if you have this, you have everything. But if you don't have this, you have nothing. Um, I alluded to this last week, but I'd say again, don't be enamored with the wisdom of the world. Um, don't be enamored with business gurus or self-help gurus or intellectuals. Don't be enamored with them. You have the mind of Christ instead. So start with the fear of the Lord. Build from there. And what you build, it's going to have some overlap with general wisdom, wisdom that everybody has and knowledge. But having the mind of Christ is wisdom that's completely outside of that other structure. Thoughts on that or questions on that? I think it's amazing. The more you think about it, the cross is the exact opposite of even what the Jews had kind of been expecting from a Messiah, right? Like they mm -hmm. wanted somebody who's going to be powerful and come and you know, establish his dominance on earth. And instead, you got a guy who came and died. And that's the wisdom of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well put. That's good. All right, there's a subset in, in theology of, on this topic, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, those attributes called the mind of God and, you know, thinking about studying the mind of God. 
so scripture speaks in several places of the mind of God. Sometimes the word, the word mind comes from a Hebrew or Greek expression for something else like soul or heart or thoughts, purposes, that sort of thing. And it gets translated into the word mind. So in the, in the original language, whether it be Hebrew or Greek, it'll, it will literally, or in a way more accurately, be um, heart, soul, something like that. But it gets translated as mind. Um, so I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I do want to ask a question. Is, is God's thought rational? Is God's thought rational and logical? Okay. Base, Steve said, based on his attributes, we'd have to say yes. And I do not disagree. But if you're like me, it kind of just doesn't feel right. Rationality um, and logic seem to be human constructs. I don't feel free to disagree with me. That's fine. But there's something that doesn't feel right to me about describing God as logical. But I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with, with you. Any other, does anyone want to offer a counterpoint to what Steve said? Okay. Yeah. So I think rational and logical are gifts that God gives us so that we can understand things in our world. Okay. And they come from God, so they come from the standard. And so those things that are of the wisdom of God will naturally be rational and logical mm -hmm. to godly people, I guess. There's that kind of a circle, a triangle again that goes around. Okay. I, I like that. That's helpful. So with that in mind, taking these two comments, yeah, I think we can all agree that, that yes, the mind of God is rational and logical. In classical, classical logic, so if you're studying logic in schools, part of a classical education, um, it says that you have to have two things. You have, you have to have two things for this to hold. You, it has to be a valid argument, and it has to be consistent. So again, this is a human construct, but I do think it's, it's helpful. So if we're, if we're asking ourselves, is God himself rational and logical, then we can look and say, OK, is, is his argument always valid? Is his argument always consistent? Well, Paul says in Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above. Here's just one simple example of the, the validity of the argument. Paul's calling us to, to reason like God. And he's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, then seek things that are, which are above. If then, if God has done this, which he has, then do this. God's, God's 
always rational in that sense. Again, you know, we could, I could go to a bunch more places, but we'll have to move on. It's consistent also, it's naturally consistent, I think, uh, when you're telling the truth. So um, when you're not telling the truth, that's when it's hard to be consistent. You catch yourself and you're questioning, well, what did I say about this? How did I communicate this before? God, of course, everything is, everything is true, so that makes the consistency easy. And his, his providence is, is ordering everything, and so it's, it's consistent from start to finish. So, yeah, God's, the mind of the God is rational and logical, but he is, he's outside any system of human logic. So we're not holding him accountable to our system just because our, our education tells us you have to have these two things to be rational and logical. We don't want to subject God to that. That's, he's, he's over it. He's above it. He's outside of all that. He's not bound by those laws as if they were above him. Um, he has no need whatsoever to be in accord with any human system of logic. And of course, there's no, no contradiction in the mind of God. So something may appear contradictory according to human, our human systems, but it's not. I, don't, I had some more notes here, but I, I don't have time, so we're going to move on. I'm going to rely a bit here on your, under, your knowledge of Romans 9 through 11. So I put up on the board here the end of Romans 11. What is, what's going on in Romans 9 through 11, though? Can anyone summarize it? Think about the argument God is making. It's, it's deep theology. It's very difficult. Um, yeah, Nathan? There's a lot of discussion about God choosing us and whether he's justified in choosing us and why, why can he still hold us accountable if he's the one who's elected us, which is one of those kind of, it seems like a paradox. Yeah. Understanding. Yep. Yeah. Good. So, go ahead. Yeah. So in one word, sovereignty. Okay. He's... In Romans 9, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. It's God's sovereign choice. It moves from there into a, you know, an explanation of, of how Israel has abandoned the covenant, and so the Gentiles are grafted in. It's basically, it's God's redemptive purpose throughout history, starting with the Jews as his people, but they're always being a remnant. And this, I mean, it's serious theology. All of Romans up to this point actually is full of theology. So before Romans 9, salvation by grace through faith because of Christ, that's the theme of, of all of it, okay? And then, and here's my point, all of that theology leads to this from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
um, John, John Piper in the, in the 70s was teaching a Bible class at Bethel College and he's, he had spent many weeks on Romans 9 through 11, week after week teaching through that. Heavy stuff, difficult to understand, serious teaching. And then on the last day of class, he came to this passage and he read it. These are college students studying difficult things. He came to this passage and read it, and he says that the class, as soon as he finished it, spontaneously broke out into singing the doxology because all of the theology of Romans that comes before this ends right here. Notice it talks about wisdom. So they broke into singing the doxology, and I think that's, I would say that's the only proper response to studying the wisdom and knowledge of God. It says, oh, the depth. So when I read that, you sense awe, right? You sense awe in the, in the words, oh, the depth. It's almost indescribable. So Piper, again, John Piper says about, about this, the word depth speaks to hiddenness, that um, the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God are, are hidden. Not everyone knows it. Not everyone sees it. It's there, but not everyone sees it. He says it, it's hidden. It's foundational. So he makes a good point, I think. He says that, that Paul could have talked about the heights rather than the depths. He could have said the heights and spoken of mountains. And he could have painted that picture, and that would be accurate also. But there's something foundational about talking about the depths. It's hidden. It just goes and goes and goes, and it's foundational. So, so our theology should lead us here. If it leads us anywhere else, I think we've gone wrong, right? So who has known the mind of the Lord? If, this, if studying knowledge and wisdom like we have for the past few weeks, if that leads you to a purely intellectual study of philosophy, I would say you've gone wrong because who has known the mind of the Lord? It's fine, study it, learn it, study scripture, and do all of that, but at the end, I want to be saying, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It says here, who has been his, his counselor? So if your wisdom leads you to a point of questioning God, or saying, like as I pointed out last week, if, if your study of this leads you to to say things like, well, God can't do such and such because that would be a violation of my free will or something in my mind, then I think you've gone wrong because who has been his counselor? So we study God's word, meditate on these things, pray, learn, read, learn from other people, all of this, but then as Paul's saying, it should lead us here and nowhere else. <clears throat> All right. Any closing comments? All right, let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that your spirit is in us, giving us wisdom. We thank you that you give it to those who ask. We do pray that you would give us this kind of wisdom, that it would cause us to love you and worship you and stand in awe of you. Guide us now as we enter into worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.